Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to be dealing with part one of the life of Maria Woodworth Etter. Now, if you're a Pentecostal, you might have heard of her. If you're not Pentecostal, chances are you haven't heard of her. So, who was Maria Woodworth Etter? Well, she was America's first truly prominent female minister. Uh, She had America's first healing ministry. She was the owner of the largest gospel tent of her time and an evangelist whose meetings were attended by the thousands. She was also the daughter of an alcoholic father who spent her early years in poverty. She was a loving mother who suffered through the loss of most of her children. She was also a wife who was cheated on and humiliated by her husband. But through all of that, Maria Woodworth Etter remained a woman of great faith, of great daring, and of great commitment. So let's talk about Maria's early years. She was born Mariah Beulah Underwood in New Lisbon, Ohio on the 22nd of July in 1844. She was the fourth daughter of Samuel and Matilda Underwood. And her parents were not Christians, so she was not raised in a Christian home or in a Christian atmosphere. However, her family did join a Disciples of Christ church one year before her father passed away. Now, fortunately, Mr. Underwood was born again before he died, and his last few hours were spent praying for his family. Now, the bad thing is, Mr. Underwood was a severe alcoholic, and his habits left his family in severe poverty. And when he died, he left behind a wife with eight children she was responsible for and serious debt. And so this curtailed Maria's education. But even though she wasn't able to attend school, Maria spent all her spare time trying to read and learn on her own. She had a kind of an insatiable desire for knowledge. Now, even though Maria wasn't raised in the church, she was still hungry for the Lord. And her interest in the things of God started when she was just eight years old. Two of her older sisters had been saved at a Methodist meeting. And Maria went a few times, and she was interested in the Lord, and she was interested in being saved. However, that particular church with that particular minister didn't seem to think that children needed the Lord. And despite her interest, Maria was ignored by the pastor. However, even though the pastor might have ignored her, and even though the pastor might not have believed that the Lord was dealing with an eight-year-old child, the Lord still heard the cry of Maria's heart. Now, when she was 13... Maria was born again at the Disciples of Christ Church that her parents began attending after her father was saved. This time, this time, the pastor took a great interest in Maria's spiritual condition and did everything he could to encourage her with that, to encourage her in seeking the Lord. However, Maria still wasn't satisfied. So she was about, I think, 13 or 14 when she was baptized. And 
Maria has an interesting sense of humor, and she mentions in her book that she was going to be baptized at a uh, at a river. The water was flowing rather rapidly, and the river wasn't exactly shallow. And as she was waiting to be baptized, she heard one of the ladies there present say, Oh my, I hope that poor child doesn't get drowned. Well, that's all Maria needed to hear. Immediately she thought, Oh my goodness, I just got saved and I'm going to (laughs) die. And she was very afraid that she might drown. And she said, Oh Lord, I'm about to get drowned. I'm about to die. Please, please save me fully. And Maria went ahead with the baptism, even though she was convinced that she was going to die. She went ahead with the baptism. And Maria said that when she came out of the water, that she felt a peace and assurance. And of course, she didn't die. But I think it's interesting that so convinced she was going to die, she still went through with the baptism. And it's like the Lord respected that. And he gave her that peace and assurance that she was, as she had prayed, fully saved. She was uh, born again. And I thought that was uh, pretty neat. And I thought, my goodness, that's just what those women needed to be saying at the baptism is, oh, that poor child's going to drown. I guess every church in every Christian group has a few of those type of ladies. We just need to pray that we aren't one of those. Now, After she was born again, Maria was very, very dedicated to the church, and she attended multiple meetings on Sunday, multiple meetings uh, during the week, and as she was doing that, she began to feel that the Lord was calling her to do a work for him, but she didn't have any idea what that work was, and you have to remember this was in the mid-1800s, and the particular denomination that she was a part of, the Disciples of Christ, did not believe in women preachers. In fact, many denominations at that time did not believe in women preachers. And so she didn't think that could be anything that the Lord would call her to do. And so in her own mind, she got it all figured out. You know how we can do that. We can just figure out, we know what the Lord's going to do. We know exactly how the Lord's going to work this out. And so she decided her only recourse to fulfill the call of God on her life would be to marry a good, earnest Christian man, and then they would go into the ministry together. And so she met uh, a good, earnest Christian man named Philo Woodworth, and they married in 1865 when she was 21. But as so often happens, things didn't turn out the way that Maria had planned in her mind. They married, but rather than going into the ministry together, she ended up being taken away from all Christian influence for a matter of years, taken away from the church, taken away from her Christian friends. Now, that's not what she had planned. That's not what she thought the Lord was going to do. And then, besides that disappointment, she began to suffer terrible heartache. One of her babies died only a few days after he was born. And then a year later, her next little baby died, and she almost joined it, joined him. And then her daughter Georgie, who was seven, was also taken. And the one thing that was different with Georgie is 
Georgie had become a Christian. Georgie was born again. And so when she was on her deathbed, she was actually comforting her mother and letting her mother know, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus. And then you're going to be there with me later on. And so there was some comfort there when Georgie passed, but that was not, would not take away the pain and the heartache and the grief that this woman was facing with losing so many children. Then, then she is, uh, gives birth to another baby daughter named Gertie. And Gertie passes away. Four children she lost. We just cannot, most of us cannot imagine the grief, the heartache, and the emotional trauma that she went through with this. And then you add to that the disappointment over how she thought things would work out with being able to fulfill the call of God on her life. Now, this is just, this is sad. However, despite the grief, despite the loss, despite the disappointment, Maria still clung to God. She still clung to the Lord. She still loved the Lord. She had committed her life to the Lord, and she was not going to take it back to herself again. And she would pray fervently for the lost during this time when circumstances hemmed her in where she could not have an active public ministry of any kind, yet still in private, she would seek the Lord and plead the cause of the lost before the Lord and pray fervently for them. And during this time, she had visions of Jesus. And in one of those visions, the Lord showed Maria that he wanted to use her to call sinners to himself. Now, she was granted this vision at a time when she was very seriously ill. I'm not sure, but it was probably after uh, childbirth, probably after uh, losing one of her babies. And she was thought to be near death. Um, the doctor, her family thought she was near death. But she had this vision. And the Lord showed her that he wanted to use her. And so despite being near death, Maria believed the Lord. She believed the vision that the Lord had given her. She knew the Lord was calling her. She didn't know the exact what or how she would go about doing this work for the Lord. But she knew. She knew this illness would not take her. And indeed, she was able to rise up from her deathbed with that assurance in her heart that she had a work to do for the Lord and that one way or another, the Lord would make a way for her. Well, several ministers had actually told Maria that they felt that the Lord was calling her to preach. And this was something she also had begun to feel in her own heart before they said anything to her. But again, think of the time period. Um, there were very few denominations that would allow women to preach. Those that did included the Methodists and the Quakers, to name, to name two of them. Um, women did not have the right to vote. Women were in no sense on any type of equal footing with men. And yet the Lord was calling her a woman to preach. And she replied to these ministers that indicated they felt she was called. She would say, if I were a man, I would love to preach. But I'm just a woman. 
And I love their reply. Their reply would often be that perhaps the Lord was calling her to a work that no man could do. That's why she was being called. It was a work that the Lord wanted a woman for. And Maria then told the Lord, I can't preach. She said, I I can't take my new baby Willie on the road. She had just had a, a new little baby. Well, Willie became very ill. And he too passed away, making the fifth child that she had lost uh, to death. Now, in Maria's mind, there was a definite connection between this. She believed, uh, as you read her book, Maria was firmly convinced that her children were being taken because she wasn't fulfilling the word of God, the or the will of God. Excuse me, she wasn't fulfilling the will of God. And I remember as a young person reading through this, reading through her book, A Diary of Signs and Wonders, and discussing it with my mother. And we talked about it. And my own opinion, now guys, this is just my opinion. My own opinion is that that is not why the babies were being taken. Okay, that, that's my own opinion. But Maria thought it was. And whether you agree or disagree with that, you know that's that's uh, that's just our that's just our opinions. But the grief of all these combined losses of losing so many of her children, five of her children, and seeming as if she was called of God, and yet things weren't working out the way that she thought they would. The grief of all of this was almost enough to break her heart. And out of six children, she only had one left, a 16-year-old daughter named Lizzie. And from what I've read, and again, this is my opinion, Lizzie did not like her mother. They did not get along well. And so Maria is struggling with all of this. She's trying to trying to press through the grief, trying to seek the Lord looking to the Lord for healing of her emotions and all of that. And finally, Maria tells the Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. But her struggles still weren't over. So again, we come back to the thing, there weren't very many women preachers. And for her to step out in ministry as an evangelist was, that was a big deal then. That just simply wasn't done much, especially here in the United States. And most denominations did not support that concept. And her own daughter, Lizzie, the one who I said I didn't think liked her mother very much, she didn't support her mother's call. In fact, she actively fought against her mother going into the ministry. Maria's own husband was actively resisting her going into the ministry. So her own family was against this. Her immediate family, and if I recall correctly, her extended family also. Then the devil came to her. And the devil said, you can't do this. You're not smart enough. You're not educated enough. You're nothing but a drunkard's daughter. That's what the devil came to her with. And Maria is hearing these thoughts. And she fears bringing dishonor on the Lord's name. She knew her whole family would be opposed. But 
In spite of all of that, she knew that she knew that she knew that she was called of God to do a work. She knew the Lord had preserved her life because there was something he wanted her to do. And she was determined no matter what happened, she would serve God. Even if she lost all of her children, she would still serve God. Even if her marriage didn't turn out like she had hoped, she would still serve God. Even if her life just seemed to be one grief and one disappointment after the other, still, still she would serve God. Well, she was given an opportunity by a local Quaker congregation. Quakers were in favor of women uh, ministers. They wanted her to spend a year traveling with an evangelist couple. She wouldn't be traveling alone. It would kind of be like some training. And her husband wouldn't let her do it. So she's really struggling with this. I mean, this, this, is, this is a big struggle. And anyone that thinks Maria just took it upon herself to go be a preacher, they don't know what she went through to get there okay this wasn't a spur of the moment thing this was something that the devil actively fought against so maria decided okay if my husband's not going to let me go with this couple and start training i will start studying by myself because remember the devil had told her she was uneducated and she wasn't smart enough and that she was nothing but a drunkard's daughter. So she thought, okay, I will study on my own. And she tried as she was taking care of the responsibilities around the home and all of that. She tried, but she shouldn't. She couldn't seem to concentrate. And Maria said she felt uneasy and restless. And she said, Lord, Lord, I'll go work in your vineyard. You know what the Lord said to her? When? And she was taken aback by that. She thought a minute. And she said, when I am properly prepared. That was her answer. And she felt the Lord say to her heart, Don't you know that while you're getting ready, souls are perishing? Man, to hear the Lord say something like that to you. And Maria argued and she said, Lord, I'd go, but I don't know what to say. And no one's going to listen to me. And the Lord told her to simply tell them what he had done for her. Tell of the glory of God and the love of Jesus. And tell sinners to repent and prepare for death and judgment. Well, now that's a pretty good summary of the work of of an evangelist, is it not? The Lord told her to tell them what he had done for her. Tell of the glory of God and the love of Jesus and tell sinners to repent and prepare for death and judgment. Well, Maria kept making excuses to the Lord and he reminded her that he would be with her when she went forward. Well, I need more time to study my Bible. And this is neat. She had a vision. And in her vision, she saw a large Bible opened up on the wall. And the verses of Scripture stood out from it in raised lettering. And the Lord would explain to her the meaning of those Scriptures. And she said the glory of God shone all around this book, this this Bible on the wall. And there, Maria says she was taught by the Holy Spirit.
Now, she did not have any opportunity to go to any type of a seminary or any type of Bible school. Even if there had been one nearby, her husband probably wouldn't have allowed her to do it. They probably wouldn't have had the money, and they probably wouldn't have accepted a female. But the Lord prepared her himself. And then after the Lord showed her these key scriptures and the meanings behind them, the Lord said, Go, and I will be with you. And I love this. Maria said, Lord, I will go. Where shall I go? And the Lord spoke to her heart and said, Go here, go there, wherever souls are perishing. And you know what? That is exactly, exactly what Maria ended up doing. Now, she was still struggling with the fact that she was a woman. But as she read her Bible and was seeking the Lord, she saw women in the Bible like Miriam and Deborah, Hannah and Huldah, Anna, the Marys, and others. And then the door opened up for Maria to hold her first meeting in a little town where she and her husband had once lived. And Maria said that she rose to speak, and, and she was afraid. But the Lord had given her a text, and this was Maria's first text. Set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And Maria said she had what she called in her books a man-fearing spirit, where she would be afraid of what people think. She would be afraid of how people would react. But when she got up behind that pulpit and she read her text, she said the Lord came over her. The anointing of the Lord came upon her, and that man-fearing spirit left. And all she cared about was bringing the message that the Lord had given her. And she continued to hold meetings there for a few days. And 20 people were born again. And among those would be her future son-in-law. Now here's a little bit of what Mary, I'm sorry, Maria had to say about her early ministry. She said, I was filled with zeal and power. And felt as if I could stand before the whole world and plead with dying sinners. It seemed to me that I must leave all and go at once. And in another place, Maria said, I asked God to give me the power. He gave the Galilean fishermen to anoint me for service. I came like a child asking for bread. I looked for it. And God did not disappoint me. Now, as Maria started her ministry, there was one unusual aspect that began to be a characteristic of her her services, and it's kind of was kind of controversial then, and it would be just as controversial now. And what it is is what she called trances. Okay, people would fall to the floor seemingly unconscious of what was going on around them. And they might remain in that state anywhere from a few minutes to several hours. And doctors would come and check them, and their vital signs would remain normal for the duration of this experience. And there was a picture from one of the local papers where she was holding meetings. In this case, it was the St. Louis Dispatch. And it wasn't a photograph uh, it was an artist rendering that showed people 
what they called under the power or in a trance on the platform at one of her tent meetings in St. Louis. And this was in the summer of 1890. This was later on in her ministry. And the uh, the picture shows um, four people laid out on the laid out on the platform with Maria standing there with her arms upraised toward the Lord. And again, that was a common scene in her meetings. Now, the particular image I'm referring to, I got from the uh, Flower Pentecostal Heritage Center, uh, their online archives. In fact, you can find a ton of information about Maria Woodworth Eder there, lots of pictures also. But back to the trances. Now, when these people awoke from the trance, they would testify of having had a powerful encounter with God. Many times the trancee would awaken and proclaim that they had been born again, that this was what this had happened to them, and while they were in that trance, they had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They had repented of their sins. Now, these trances served a few different purposes that we can look back on and recognize. One of them is they drew attention to the meetings. People would come to the meetings to see the trances, but while they were at those meetings, the Holy Spirit of God would deal with their hearts. And many of those that came to see the trances left themselves born again or left under conviction. The second effect of these trances was that they brought a deep conviction upon those onlookers that were not saved. Now, that is a very interesting point that would be in favor of these trances truly being of God. They didn't, ex- they didn't, what am I, what is the best way for me to put this? They brought conviction, conviction of sin. They weren't just there happening for people's entertainment. They weren't there as a badge of spirituality, but there was such an anointing, such a move of God going on as a part of these trances that people fell under conviction in their hearts. They were convicted of sin when they saw people in these trances, especially when one of their loved ones fell in one of these trances. So these trances resulted in people being saved that otherwise may not have attended a meeting and gotten under conviction. So they became a powerful tool of the Lord in dealing with people uh, as part of Maria Woodworth Eder's meetings. Now something else that stood out about Maria Woodworth Eder's meetings were the healings. I had mentioned that she had the first major healing ministry uh, that actually predated um, the Pentecostal movement. The Lord began to speak to Maria and deal with her about praying for the sick. Because as she read her Bible, she saw that it was biblical to pray for the sick. That Jesus laid hands on the sick and they recovered. That the apostles had prayed for the sick and they had recovered. And uh, in the Bible it said, If there are any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. And anointing him with oil, they'll pray for them and they'll be healed so the lord began to deal with maria about praying for the sick and maria was concerned that this would uh distract her and others 
from the primary message of her meetings, which was salvation. However, the Lord let Maria know that this would not be a problem. And I think it's, uh, I think it's very interesting that she wanted to make sure nothing drew attention away from the message of salvation. That salvation must remain the primary focus of ministry. And I love that. I believe that is fully biblical. And if you go to the Flower Pentecostal Heritage website, you'll see pictures of Maria's meetings. And you'll see pictures of tents and people outside those tents in wheelchairs or on crutches or on stretchers. And indeed, the Lord began to heal people in Maria's meetings. So now, not only were people being saved at Maria's meetings, but they were being healed by the power of God. Now, here's the cool thing. I love this. The healings seem to convince the doubters, not just of the power of God to heal, but the power of God to judge and to forgive sin. So these healings, again, resulted in people coming under conviction. And then even more people were drawn to the meetings, curiosity seekers. And that's why as Christians as and ministers should never despise those that come out of curiosity. Because the Lord, the Lord can use that very curiosity to draw them in and convict hearts. The Lord is not threatened by curiosity. The Lord is not threatened by skeptics. That doesn't bother the Lord. The Lord can reach anybody. The thing is to get people in where they can hear a true, genuine gospel message. And remember Maria's first text. Uh, it was get the, basically prepare the, get the house in order for you're about to die and not live. Now that's a, that is a very strong text. So. The Lord uses these healings to bring even more people in the meeting. And then when people see the power of God to heal, they realize that the Lord has the power to judge them for their sins. They realize the Lord has the power to uh, send people that are sinners to hell. They realize that maybe they better get right with God. And conviction begins to fall. Holy Ghost conviction begins to fall. And so even more people were being born again. And as Maria followed the leading of the Lord, the message of healing did not outshine the message of the gospel. Now, um, there's a, again, this neat stuff that comes off the Flower Pentecostal Heritage site. There's a flyer for one of Maria's meetings. And at the very top, it says in big letters, Jesus heals. And it's a camp meeting held in Ottumwa, July 8th to 30th. Now, that's a pretty long camp meeting. Salvation. Now, listen to this. Salvation for soul and healing for body. Three meetings daily. Good song service at each meeting. Come bring the sick and afflicted to be healed without money and without price through the name of Jesus. Now, if that isn't biblical, I don't know what is. Bring the sick and afflicted to be healed without money and without price through the name of Jesus. Notice, notice the emphasis on the name of Jesus. 
So healing became one of the major hallmarks of Maria's ministry. Now, there were a few other hallmarks of of her meetings. Uh, One of the interesting ones was the age range of those being saved. Now, it seems like as people grow older and older, the likelihood of them being saved statistically seems to go down. However, it was not uncommon for the elderly to be saved in Maria's meetings. And many times... These elderly individuals that were born again during Maria's meetings would die not long afterward and go be with the Lord. So the Lord was moving among those of advanced age. And that's a reminder to us that we are never too old to get right with God. Children. They also received special attention at Maria's meetings, no doubt because of her experiences as a child and being born again when she was about 12 or 13. Now, here's something else that's a hallmark of Maria's meetings. We don't hear this type of thing anymore. Uh, Maria preached a very strong message of repentance. Now, yes, I know there are many Many preachers out there that are preaching a strong message of repentance. But the message she preached was so strong that some of those who resisted that message and resisted the conviction of God perished. They died. And they died in their sins. And I'll just kind of Leave that for you to think about. Now, Maria, man, when she was when she made up her mind that she was going to do what the Lord called her to do, she did it. She preached and preached and preached. Oftentimes, Maria would preach several times in a single day. Now, we are only human, and no matter how anointed an individual may be, no matter how divinely called an individual may be, we still reside in a human body, and a human body gets tired, a human body gets weary, and overwork affects the Christian and the non-Christian alike. And Maria worked herself to exhaustion. She sometimes had to be carried to and from the platform because she was so very exhausted. However, and this is interesting, once she was behind the podium, the Lord seemed to energize her to deliver his message to the people. Now, that's not an excuse for us to abuse ourselves uh, to overwork but you know that's what the Lord did with Maria I'm reminded of the words of uh, the I believe it was the Scottish minister McShane that died I think before he even reached his 30s and McShane said the Lord gave me a message and a horse to ride alas I've killed the horse so all things in moderation goes for those who are called of God also Now, one of the cool things about uh, Maria and 
the weariness that she often suffered, if she was facing a lot of opposition from the community, which we'll talk about in podcast number two on this subject, it seemed like the Lord would give her extra energy and extra strength to push through the weariness to keep carrying that message. And her ministry was not always well-received. Her message of repentance was not always well-received. Her stand for the Word of God was not always well-received. She had enemies. She had many bitter enemies. She had people that would just as soon see her dead. She had people that tried to get her um, sent to a mental institution. She had people that tried to get her arrested. And that's what we're going to talk about in the in the second podcast. This resistance that she met. Um, how the, the presence of the Lord in her meetings seemed to really stir up the devil sometimes. And yet the Lord always gave her victory. So we're in wrapping up part one of Maria Woodworth Edder. One of the things that stands out to me was that despite all the heartache that she faced and all the grief and emotional trauma that she went through, she always clung to the Lord. She did not let those things drive her away from God. And that is a reminder to us. That scripture that tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. Maria is a demonstration of that. She refused to allow anything to separate her from the love of God. Even though she didn't understand why she was going through the horrible things she was going through. She trusted God. She loved Jesus. And she wanted to serve him no matter what happened. And that is a powerful testimony and a powerful example for us to follow. Well, that's the end of Maria Woodworth Edder, part one. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you stay tuned uh, for part two to be uploaded soon. Thank you.